Thank you for listening to the Conform to Christ podcast, where we seek to engage the mind, affect the heart, and call people to follow Christ. My name is George Mays, and with me is Jay Jones. Morning, George. And this is a free-for-all Friday. Free-for-all Friday, and I think this has potential to be a mega episode. Yeah. Probably the next several have that potential. Yeah, probably. Uh so because <clears throat> we got some other things to talk about besides oh, the main no. besides the main story. I'm, here I am. I'm besides locked the main in. Story. Are you locked in? You're ready? ready? You're ready to go? I was ready to go. You're ready to go. Well, you gotta know that I'm you gotta know I gotta bring something. I gotta bring something. Let's see it. Okay. It better uh, not I, disappoint. No, no, I thought I thought this would be uh I thought you would find this a really interesting story. I've been holding on to this for uh for the last week because I thought <laughs> that right. you would find it really interesting. We've been talking about um artificial intelligence oh, yeah. uh the last <laughs> last several weeks. Um we've been talking about um what is it, chat G Oh I know G- what you have. This this is a treat if it is what I think it is. Oh I don't I don't know. Is no it, oh no. Uh, I, I I am going to find that, but you got to find not, that. But that's not. Podcast. But that's not this. I, I oh, thought okay. this would. This is not the funny. This is not the funny part. This is just something that we could think about. Okay. Uh, you know, right, we right. we talked about um, what two years ago. We talked about all the plagiarism in the SBC. Uh-huh. You know, we had Ed Litton, and it was exposed that he was ripping off. Right. Uh, you know, um, JD Greer's sermon some t- from yeah, yeah, keller yeah. stuff like like we, t- we like talked presenting about presenting his illu- like his yeah illustrations yeah as his own as we his talked own about yeah. um we talked about docent talked yeah. a little about about oh, docent, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that, yeah. that company that that you can pay them and they'll do all your research they'll do all your work for you and present it spit to out a sermon right. for you to preach so we've talked about plagiarism and and we've we privately have been talking about this new ai uh-huh. this new ai program Right. Well, I ran across this story. I thought you would find it interesting. Um, you put it up on the screen. Um, Rabbi uses chatbot to deliver sermon to shock congregation in New York. What? This uh, this New York rabbi, he delivered a sermon, and then at the end, he said, this was not written by me. It was written by AI. Man. And he warns that uh, AI will wipe out 375 million jobs in a decade. That's what he's saying. Yeah, yeah, crazy. Um, so you've got this, you've got this new AI program. Mm-hmm. Right? I can't get on to <laughs> to look at it because every yeah. time I do the the website is that doesn't like you for some reason. It really doesn't. Yeah, um, but you can you can put in um, you can put in the parameters Chat mm-hmm. GPT right, and it will write something for you. Mm-hmm. He said he his prompt was write a sermon of around a thousand words, which that's that's a really short sermon, I I think, <laughs> uh, with the idea of intimacy and vulnerability, and quote Brene Brown, Brene Brown. Brene. Quote, he wants him to quote someone, we'll quote somebody, yeah. Um, and then it spit it out, and he preached it, and the congregation listened, and he said, "This was not my sermon. Can you guess?" Who wrote it? And they had all these guesses. Um, I guess his dad, uh, his dad's a rabbi, and like they were guessing all these people. And he said, "No, this was a computer. <laughs> this, yeah. this was this was artificial intelligence." Mm-hmm. So it, that brings up more of plagiarism, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I mean, how how many how many pastors? I mean, we use that loosely if they're if they're plagiarizing their sermons, like right. 
how many of these guys do you think are going to get on to chat uh, a lot gpt and and just uh write me a sermon based on this text mm -hmm. this long quote quote these guys uh, oh a lot a lot there's gonna be it's gonna be a lot uh, it's gonna change everything in the in, in the entire world i don't think we really understand how much is going to change everything mm -hmm. do you i mean do you think that that i mean what are, what's the congregation reaction going to be i mean we saw the reaction <clears throat> that ed Litton. i mean people just rallied around him the, so there's an issue that i think a lot of preachers have not just with plagiarism but plagiarizing even styles hmm. so you know, you can get on a line and you can watch a preacher and you can think, man, he is just like this person. It's like he's not himself, almost as if he's acting. You know what I'm saying? Have you seen that? Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. And that's because they don't they don't have their own voice. They're not really preaching. They're imitating. And in some cases, they're acting. Um, they're acting out a script that's yeah. been written. So... Um, I can understand why people might initially, when they first start preaching, they might would say, "You know what? I need to rehearse my sermon." Mm. But you're not you're not putting on a play. Right. You're not acting. Right. So, it's my personal practice. I I think it's yours. I don't. The first time I preach a sermon is in front of the congregation. Yeah, I um my my preaching professor he he really stressed that you're whatever you do, whether it's an outline or you actually write out a manuscript, that's not the sermon. Mm -hmm. That's a sermon manuscript. That's a sermon outline. The sermon is when you actually stand up and proclaim. Right. There, there is a, a distinction between the, the two things. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, um, so there's, I don't, I, don't pra I mean, I rehearse it in my head, like right. things I'm going to say, but <laughs> whether I actually end up saying those things on a Sunday morning, um sometimes yes sometimes no right but i mean like there are there's the stylistic type of plagiarism mm -hmm. and it may not be done on purpose actually i think maybe some people just really admire a certain preacher but the cadence is the same even in the you know in the, in the way they speak mm -hmm. the rhythms yeah um there's that and there's the huge problem which i think is probably bigger than most people realize the ed Litton thing brought it out a little bit uh, but people don't write their own sermons, mm -hmm. and so they're they're not they're not preachers; they're performers. Right? Uh, they're performing someone else's things, someone else's thoughts. Now they might could justify it and say, "Well, you know, the text only has one meaning," and that's true. I mean, for instance, we may you and I preach the same book; probably most of the main points are going to be the same. <sighs> Yeah. If we outline like uh, one of Paul's letters, right, and that's just the way it is because the text has a meaning, a point. Mm -hmm. But it's the rest of the sermon; right. it's who you are as a person. Right. Um, you know, you. As the more I understand and like look at consciousness and things like this, that because these are things are going to be coming more and more to the fore. So I'm just curious about them, and trying to understand what it is to be a person, a human. You are only who you are in relation to other people. Right, so the sermons that we preach, you you are preaching them because you're George Mays, the pastor here at this church with these people. Mm -hmm. So they've, in a way, have shaped you who you are, 
And so your sermon is to those people that you are in connection with right. and relationship with, or that's how it should be. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't be a script. Shouldn't right. be a uh, an act. It's you ministering to them, you the person, because mm-hmm. who you are changes who they are too. Yeah, that's how God intended the world to be as humans. We're humans. We are not robots. A robot can't give. And I'm gonna I'm gonna rob something from the great Martin Lloyd Jones. Okay. <laughs> okay. He said. <clears throat> Don't you don't don't record me? And somebody, they didn't listen to him. Thank God. I, I think he. Fi- I <laughs> think he, he said, finally relented. He relented. I think he yeah. finally relented. I don't think they did it behind his back or anything. He, but he, he relented. But he, he said because on audio you can't capture the lightning and the thunder. Right. Well, an AI can't write the lightning he, and the thunder. He, did, he didn't you like. Know what I'm saying he didn't like the thought of someone like washing their car or, or mowing their lawn and listening to him preach. I got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But he's saying you <laughs> can't. I, I get it. You can't capture the essence and the power of it. Right. And there's a difference between sitting under someone's preaching and listening to them. Um, well, we've talked about this before, and it, it goes back to our worship and, and these multi-site campuses that, that just kind of beam the pastor in. Right. They never beam in the music. Right. They always have the, the, the worship team in-house because they know that there's a difference between... Watching them play on a screen and actually being in the room, right? It's the same with the preaching. They don't quite get it. There, there's something about being in the room that you can't capture on a screen. Yeah, yeah. And we we intrinsically understand that with music, but it is something that we don't really think about when it comes to the preaching. Mm-hmm. But there is. That's why, even though we live stream our services, we we never want that to be a substitute for actually being in the room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So people will use it to, uh, and I've seen people doing weird things, like write it in the voice of Denzel Washington, you know, or whatever, well, uh, and it'll do it. Well, I've got, I've got something here as an example that also serves as a segue into, <laughs> okay, our, yeah. into our main topic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, the uh, the chat GPT may spit out the info, mm-hmm. but it's not gonna it's not gonna have the lightning and the thunder, right? But neither does a, a play preacher actor. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Right. Some people may be offended by that, but mm-hmm. that's just me. Yeah, you know, I you can tell. Right. So, well, I've I've I came across this. Uh, what last week did I, did I send this to last week? Yes, and I laughed for a very, very long time. <laughs> very long time. It was a great little treat you sent me. Yeah. Um, so this was this is an uh, an example of of Chat GPT. Um, this AI, you you just it's a program. You can go onto their website if you can get in. I yeah. I can never get in. It's always it's always closed. Um, and you just give parameters, and it spits something out. And um, it's a beautiful, it's the most beautiful AI. Yeah. <laughs> right. The best. Yeah. The best. The best. So today, our, our, um, our free for all Friday, we're going to start a series on the five points of Calvinism. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be talking about. Um, also known what, as the doctrines of grace. The doctrines grace. of grace, yeah. God's sovereignty in um, salvation. And uh, so this is, this, it, this is just a perfect perfect transition into that topic. Uh, someone, I have no idea who, uh, went to chat GPT and said, write a sermon on Someone Romans. who wanted to bless the I world. Guess, I guess, yeah. Um, we can pull this up on the screen. This 
the parameters are write a sermon on Romans 9 with the language of Donald Trump. And I, I wish I could read this like Donald Trump. I just do I it. I can't. I just, I'm just going to read it. <laughs> do it, please. <laughs> There's no way. There's no way. There's no way. Just but I'll, re- I'll read, read it. Read it with his cadence. I'll read it. Can you I'll read it with his cadence, or do you I, want me to try? I don't, I don't know. I'm... Don't show my face, and I'll give it a shot. <laughs> How about that? All right. I'm going to do it, George. Okay, all right. Just for fun. This okay. is fun times. Okay. All right. Sermon on Romans 9 by Donald Trump, Trump written by Chad GPT. Yeah. What has happened to our podcast? <laughs> we were we I came in here all serious, ready to talk about total depravity. Here we are. All right. Let me tell you, folks. Romans nine is a tremendous chapter. It's one of the best chapters in the Bible. Believe me. And it's all about God's plan for humanity. Now, some people, the haters, the losers, they say that God's plan is unfair. But let me tell you, it's not unfair. It's just smart. God knows what he's doing. He's a winner. (laughs) And in Romans 9, we see that God has chosen certain people to be his chosen ones. And let me tell you, that's a big honor. It's a huge honor. And who are those chosen ones? They're the ones who believe in Jesus. It's that simple. And you know what? It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, rich or poor, smart or not so smart. If you believe in Jesus, you're in. That's what God's plan is all about, folks. But some people, they complain and they say, why did God choose me and not someone else? And let me tell you, that's a very unfair question. It's very unfair question. Because, folks, God is the boss. He's the king. He's the ultimate authority. And he can do whatever he wants. He can choose whomever he wants. And let me tell you, God's plan is a great plan. It's a tremendous plan. And if you are not part of, part of it, that's not God's fault. It's yours. Because, folks, all you have to do is believe in Jesus. It's that simple. So let me tell you, Romans 9 is a tremendous chapter, and it's all about God's plan for humanity. And folks, it's a great plan. It's a tremendous plan. And if you're not part of it, you're missing out. Believe me. Yep. <laughs> Very nice. Oh my. Very nice. Yeah. George. Um, the only thing that wasn't in there was China. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, that's pretty that's, good. That is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess it just that, scans, you know, uh, it scans a database of like sermons online on Romans 9 and compiles it. I have no idea really. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. There it was in the voice of Donald Trump. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. But enough shenanigans. I may have some this, more shenanigans oh for you, but well, <laughs> it's, it's in the it's in the context. Yeah, in of, the context, you probably have some yeah. pe- people railing against it. So here, no, here, I you know I I I found some stuff, but nothing that nothing I was really like, great. Eh. I mean, I did find a I found a longer clip of Stephen Anderson saying that Calvinists are perverts. <laughs> but I couldn't I couldn't find like a sh- <laughs> I couldn't find a shorter a shorter oh, clip. <laughs> so no, I don't so, I don't have any of those. So my thing is like unplugging here for some reason. We're gonna jump in now to off this t- time stamp this for people who want to skip all that. <laughs> but we're gonna jump in. Why now. would you why would you want to skip? Some people just do. Some people just this? do. This is gold. <laughs> this is so, prime time, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> so we're starting this uh, this series, and it's on um, five points of Calvinism, often called the doctrines of grace. Now, before we jump in, though, let's 
let's set some kind of like parameters, say kind of what we feel about things. How about the uh, the whole idea of Calvinist being called a Calvinist? Mm. Is that important to you that you would be known as that? Uh, no, no, not not really. Um, I mean, these are not doctrines that Calvin invented, right? Um, I mean, even even if you disagree with the five points of Calvin of Calvinism, which we need to define, um, you'd have to say he didn't get these from, like, he didn't invent these, right? You, you can trace them back, um, at, at least to um, Augustine, right? Uh, we would say it's it's biblical. Um, and I, I think there can be this misconception that you call yourself a Calvinist so you believe everything that John Calvin taught, which we obviously don't. Right. Um, because he was a pedo Baptist. Mm-hmm. Um, he held to, you know, church state. Mm-hmm. Um, it, we, we would disagree with him on, on some of these, these issues. Um, so in the strict, the strict label Calvinist, we're we're not right, right. Um, but I, you know, I read a, I read a, an article by John Piper years ago, where he was saying that um, it's better to just just um, say what you believe, right. Um, Instead of just throwing a you know, label, throwing out labels, right? Uh, we use labels because every time we talk, we don't want to have to say, "Well, I I hold to this, 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 this." It's almost like <laughs> so if you, you're in Europe and they're like, "So you're an American," mm-hmm. and you're like, "Well, yes, but there's a lot of different kind of people in America." All <laughs> right, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's 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 good to have that label of Calvinism. Um, but there's a lot of straw men. Um, people hear that and they have all kinds of right weird ideas. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, so it's it's helpful in a sense if if you can if you need to save on time or you know if, if there's a common understanding what that means. Cool. Right. But um, if you're you know with someone that has some misconceptions. They've, they've been taught some of these, you know, false ideas of what Calvinism is, then you obviously you need to take time to, to right. actually lay mm-hmm. out what you mean. <clears throat> yeah. That's yeah. why we, we talk about the doctrines of grace. Mm-hmm. Um, but even then, you have to... The doctrines of grace, you, yeah. You have to define what those are. So Instead refi- of saying the five points, you said people, some people say the doctrines of grace. Yeah. yeah. So uh, five points of Calvinism, we might... Yeah, so the five points of Calvinism are easily remembered by this acronym TULIP. Mm-hmm. And as a military community, people, sh- you guys should be all about this life. TULIP, mm-hmm. it's your very own theological acronym. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a little insider military joke for I you. Gotcha. They'll acronym everything, George. I gotcha. So the T, total depravity. Mm-hmm. U, unconditional election. L, limited atonement. I, irresistible grace. Perseverance of the Saints. These are all in the uh, subfield of theology known as soteriology. So, what we're talking about is salvation theology, <clears throat> and the 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 acronym Tulip that was used um, 
decades after Calvin died. <laughs> um, mm. And it was because of um, they had a, I don't know, what do they call it? A synod, a council <clears throat> in, in, in uh, Dort. Synod? I don't know. I don't know. It was Council it was, of Dort. They, they called a synod they, of Dort. They, so, in response to the theology of Calvin and, and others, um, there was uh, the Remonstrants, yeah, which are now known as Arminians. Mm-hmm. They had they actually came up with this five is Synod of Dort. They, they actually came up with five points first. 1619, Dutch Reformed Church. So the, the five points of Calvinism are actually in response to the five points of Arminianism. Yes, um, and at the at the Synod of Dort, they they uh, outlined their response which came to be the five points of Calvinism. Right. But they used the, the and this was even years after the, the Synod of Dort, that they, uh, I don't even know who came up with the, the, uh, the acronym TULIP. It's based upon the Dutch flower, mm. the TULIP, right? Um, but Jay, you're a, Jay, you're a little gangster, right? Got a little, mm-hmm. you got a little gangster. Well, I don't know. <laughs> so maybe, maybe tulip is not. Maybe tulip's not not your thing. Maybe, oh, you need, no. maybe you need something a little more, a little more close to home. What is it? All right. So came across this acrostic or acronym for you, Jay. I throw that up on the screen. Tupac, total depravity. <laughs> what? Unconditional election, particular redemption, all powerful grace, certainty of perseverance. <laughs> Tupac. Tupac. <laughs> Never heard that one, man. I've heard roses. That's a little um, Molinistic for you. Roses. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I know that uh, several years ago, Norman Geisler, um, who <laughs> likes to call him, he liked to call himself a moderate Calvinist, but then he was he was just a typical Arminian. Um, he came up with uh, poinsettia. For his, yeah, for yeah. His, that's uh, too for long. His, can you spell poinsettia no, for us right that's now? That's too long, man. That's too long. So, uh, but I did, I did come across a, a an acronym for uh, the Armenian, the five points of Armenianism. You did, yeah. I, you know, here's the deal. We have like to have good fun and make fun of everything on here. So yeah. if you're Armenian, just hang in there, man. Like well, we're I, not we're it, not against you <laughs> like that, but we make fun of ourselves. So we are definitely gonna make fun of you too. Well, I came across this. I, I was I, I was a little on the fence about sharing it, but hey, we have some fun, and uh, you you've shared some pretty. Uh, I've got a great song I'm going to play you've, in a minute. You've uh, you've shared some some questionable things before, so I thought I would share this okay. uh, this acronym for uh, the five points of Arminianism that I I came across. Who wrote it though? Is it oh, a I joke? have no idea. I have no. Is idea. it a real thing or a joke? Oh, I mean, you'll see it immediately. Okay. Oh my. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Giorgio. It's, uh, it's farts. I'm not going to apologize for my joke. Well, <laughs> fully well-behaved, able to pick God, readily available if you want, totally resistible grace, suckers can lose their salvation. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh. There you go. If you, if you ever need to remember the, the five points of Arminianism, yeah. you, you, got your, <laughs> you got a little mnemonic device for you. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, my goodness. 
Well, shall we jump in? So we're talking. <laughs> think, uh, we're, we're 24 minutes in here. I we haven't so, officially so talked to you about, about anything yet. Oh, goodness. All yeah, right. Let's. <laughs> so we're talking doctrines of salvation. Yes. So people can get really passionate about this. Oh, right? yeah. So, well, we have. Yeah. We had our, um, our episode, I don't know, a year and a half ago, two years ago, on, on we had your friend. Uh, Robert, Robert on here, yeah. and mm-hmm. we talked about how churches are quick to fire Calvinist pastors. Right. So you can go back and and uh, watch that one. Um, yeah, they 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 do. They get passionate. Um, I mean, I've I've talked about my own experience um, here before we merged that the church tried to fire me, and uh, right. they had a bunch of different reasons, but it, it really it was it was Calvinism that was. That was the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't know what it was. Some some of them couldn't even pronounce it. They thought they they thought it had something to do with Catholicism, and uh, I mean they they just didn't have a clue. They didn't want to listen. They didn't want they didn't want to learn. They just wanted to. I mean, I had one one little old lady uh, at the back of the church. She just cried out, "I don't know what it is, but I don't want to hear." Yeah. <laughs> that's, you know that's and I think that's the. Um, I think that's the sentiment in a lot right. of a lot of churches, and um, so there's a lot of straw man arguments, a lot of caricatures, right? Um, yeah, and people do. They, I mean, churches split over this stuff, right? Yeah, I remember one time I was sitting down with uh, someone. It was on a different. We were talking one of the different points, so it technically would have fallen under. Oh, I can't remember. Well, it was really about all of it, but so anyway, this guy said all this stuff. And I was like, yeah, that's cool. I believe that too. And he's like, what? <laughs> what do you mean? I'm like, well, that's what I believe. Yeah. And he was just dumbfounded because, you know, the caricature was like shaping and clouding his view of how he would view every single person that he ever thought was, well, you know, reformed. Mm-hmm. So I would say, that's how I would say I'm. I'm reformed. Yeah. So I'd say that before I'd say I'm a Calvinist, I'm reformed. And then of course, you know, the Presbyterians would be like, You're not reformed. <laughs> so all right, guys. That yeah, is get it a over spot with. on Presbyterian oh, impersonation. No. You you've mm-hmm. been practicing that in front of a mirror, haven't you, Jay? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Um and then of course you have other other guys that would say to those that are Presbyterian, Well, you're not reformed, you know, you're not Psalm singer only. <laughs> well, you're not you're not fully Sabbatarian, you're not reformed. You know, you don't. Right. They have so they have this entire thing that mm-hmm. where you get all the way back to the truly reformed. So, <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So I, I would say that's how I would say I'm. I'm. Uh, I'm reformed, or some would say you know I'm a Calvinistic Baptist, and people hear that, and then it the stereotypes all cloud. Mm-hmm. So what I'd like to do, I guess, is maybe we'll let's not so much talk about the other side because let's just address these points and and see you know. How did well? We'll talk about our own history as we go through the series. But what's the biblical basis for these? Is there any biblical basis to believe this, right? Or is this just a system that's been taught to you and me, and it's just been passed down? And where did you learn it from, anyway? You know, are you guys obsessed with Calvin, and where'd you get this stuff from? Right. Um, you know, it was. I'd been a I'd been a Calvinist for over a decade before I actually read John Calvin. Calvin. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the label that's attached to mm. these sets of like uh, soteriological beliefs. Mm. Um, so really 
the five points kind of hang together, mm-hmm. though. You know, there was a long, long time where I was only four, four point. Mm-hmm. Um, as most people, I think, mm-hmm. you know, you don't just jump in like, oh, what's this that I've discovered? And then you just jump in. Right. So you kind of learn. And it's a process of, I think, for me anyways, shaping and conforming my mind more closely to what the Bible said. So before we jump in, I'll just say my, how did I arrive here believing this? After I was converted, I started reading the Bible a lot. And a lot, like I mean a lot, like an abnormal amount. I believe that God was like pushing me, you know, like I had, was a little later to feel called to be a pastor, so I was being propelled. Mm -hmm. And so I'd have all these words I'd never even seen before, and I would write them down on paper, then I'd go look them up. And so I'm starting to discover this stuff, and and my worldview is like starting to be undone by the Bible. And then eventually... Uh, you know, I'm in that like maybe a year or so, and I'm starting to believe more what the Bible says about things. And then I came across a book called the um, the Reformed Doctrine of Predestination, mm. which is not like an entry level book <laughs> into this topic, right? It's a thick one because you have a whole vocabulary that you need to have before you start to read like that kind of theological stuff, which mm. I didn't have. It'd be like you jumping into law school right now, mm. right? And you're like. Mm, I got to learn all these definitions first. So that's what I did. Yeah. And I started out and I was like, no, this this can't be true. That's that's not right. <clears throat> but all the Bible verses were listed. That's uh, that's Lorraine Bettner. Yeah. If anyone is, is looking for resources, mm-hmm. the Reformed Doctrine of Predestination. It's classic. So then I'd go look up the verses, every one of them. And then after a while, you know, I'm like halfway through this book and I'm like, I am I am resisting like what the Bible says now. Mm. So it became a crisis point. Am I going to yield and go where what the with what the Bible says? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> or am I going to resist this? Yeah. Cuz it's it's not our natural our natural state is not to believe this doctrine. Actually I have a good video we can show on that, but you maybe tell us your way and then I'll show this intro video Tulip. Um I mean I grew up in just a typical Southern Baptist church. And so this stuff wasn't talked about. Um, it's funny, I was <laughs> I was dating a girl in, in high school who was a Presbyterian. And um, one, of the, one of the guys at my church was like, well, is she a five-point Calvinist? I was like, what are you talking about? I, I, I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, looking back. No, <laughs> no, she was not. <laughs> um, but um, it wasn't until after after college that I started listening to expository preaching and uh, MacArthur, Piper, R.C. Sproul, and um, these guys are. I mean, they're talking about this stuff, mm-hmm. and it's it's. I mean, I've been a Christian for <laughs> a long time, and and this is all brand new to me because like you said you have to you have to know the language you have to kind of learn the the terms yeah and um i no one had ever addressed this stuff um and so it was it was through listening to especially rc sproul that i was exposed to calvinism so i i picked up some of his books but i also was pushing against it because i had you know family members that were and still are very much opposed to to Calvinism, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
sometimes they throw out you know some of those straw straw man arguments so i i uh was given a book called um the other side of calvinism mm. and i didn't even make it through even as i was pushing against it i was like this this is not there's something off mm. <laughs> like he's not he's not explaining passages right um i i tried uh, i read uh, norman geisler's um uh, I just completely blanked on the name of the uh, chosen but free. Yeah, um, and he calls himself a moderate Calvinist, but then he explains all the verses as like a Southern Baptist would, right? Like uh, ex- explaining away the first four, and then perseverance of the saints is once saved, always saved. Trad- uh, traditional Southern Baptists seem to would hold to only one point: the perseverance. Of the yeah, saints. and they wouldn't call it that. Right. That they wouldn't call it that because they have um, they have some arguments against eternal security. Maybe they would call it. Yeah. Well, one. I mean, once saved, always saved. Is the that's that's just the, yeah. That's what that's, they usually, that's usually say. What they say. But as I read those, I there was just something missing. I just felt like there is there are these texts that they seem to be jumping through hoops to try to explain. Mm-hmm. And I read R.C. Sproul's um, book on Calvinism. Yeah. And I just couldn't, you know, chosen by God is such a, a it's, it's so simply written, but it's so profound. And I just kept coming back to Romans 9. I, it was like this brick wall and I'd read my Bible many times, and it's like Romans nine suddenly was there, right? And I I was actually paying attention to what it said, and I just couldn't escape what Paul was was saying. And so one day I was just like, I guess I'm a Calvinist <laughs> because I I can't get around Romans nine, right? Um, that I come back to it time and time again, and I I wonder where was it all these years. All these these years when I was a younger Christian, how can people read Romans nine and not come to the same conclusion that I did? Uh, but it, but even then, I I still wasn't fully convinced of the L limited atonement until mm-hmm. I went to seminary, and my systematic professor he um, he explained it in a way that it finally clicked. Who was your professor? Uh, Stephen Wellam. All right, he was my systematic professor, and he explained it in terms of Christ's high priesthood. But we'll get to that when, right. we, when we get yeah. to the L. But yeah, and then I, uh, I'm in. I'm, right. I'm all in. And now I probably call myself what Piper calls himself a seven point uh-huh. Calvinist with the last two double predestination, and this is the best of all possible worlds uh-huh. for God's glory. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. Um, so I got a little introductory video that we'll show. I'll give credit to uh, the. This is from the documentary Calvinist. Mm. So it's uh, the clip on uh, as it begins tulip and gets into the tea a little bit. Mm. So I guess I'll put the, in the uh, description a link to that. So this yeah. is not our video; it's theirs, but um, it's a good video. It's a good. It's a good movie. It's a good uh, explanation. And, oh, it's, a, it's uh, great. Yeah, it really explains kind of my journey also because they set up at the beginning that there was there were um two movements that were going on at the same time right emergent the church. emergent church and a recovery of reformed theology right 
and uh, people were going one of, of two ways. And I, I felt that tension. I was reading some of those emergent church guys, uh, Donald Miller, Rob Bell, and I, I was struggling with you know, kind of the, the lack of depth in my own, my own church, my own experience. Um, but it was the truths of God's word that uh, steered me towards reformed theology. Right. right. Yeah. I think for me it was because I wasn't in that spheres in the circles, you know, right. I was in the military and that's mm-hmm. what I did and um was that and then providentially God had put a book he had given it to me uh, through this man uh who was uh, kind of tried to mentor me a little bit in college. He gave me a John MacArthur book. This is years and years prior. Mm-hmm. And uh for whatever reason was stayed with me. I don't know why I kept it, and it was in a box. And I discovered that later after I discovered the uh, the Bettner book. And then uh, once you discover John MacArthur, of course, you're going to discover R.C. Sproul and the <laughs> right. other people that are connected to him. Right. Um, but the draw was they had ability to explain the Bible that didn't seem to explain away the Bible. Right. They were just bringing out what it was right. what it was saying. Yeah. yeah, and so that was a big draw. And then um, much later, I, I, I didn't discover who James White was until much later, oh, and yeah. it was actually just a book. I just happened to buy a book. I think I was in like, I don't even know, like a regular bookstore, like Barnes & Noble or something. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it was, I think it was called Calvinism Debated, hmm. where it's like James White versus, um, who is that guy? Um, Armenian guy. And they write, back and forth to each other Mm -hmm. it's like a written debate okay and they write back and forth yeah and so i saw that this one guy um the armenian guy he was just it seemed like he was being really manipulative Mm. trying to appeal to emotions and like do that type of thing and then the other guy who i didn't even know who he was he was like almost like robotic with a machine gun like (laughs) like bible verse well, if you if and he you would just watch. tell him, he'd be like, "So you see here, man. The problem is, is that you didn't even explain this verse. <laughs> so now I'm going to explain the verse to you, and then he'd explain the verse." Well, the the infamous the infamous Romans nine debate between James White and and uh, Leighton Flowers, yeah, years ago. The yeah. the the debate topic was, does Romans nine teach, um, election? Yeah, and Leighton Flowers went first. And he is just jumping all over the place and trying to connect all these dots. Um, and James White gets up with his Greek New Testament and he just walks through Romans 9. And it's like, here's the, here's the clear meaning of the text. <laughs> just, just walk through it. Yeah. Um, don't, don't try to, don't, don't leave Romans 9 in order to explain Romans 9. Just go to Romans 9 and read it right and and that was the that was the big difference you could see the methodology was completely opposite yeah and uh you can you can find it on on youtube just look up uh romans 9 debate with james james white yeah it's a long debate it's like two and a half hours three hours yeah Um, but you'll see not just not just james white explaining romans 9 but you'll see how different the the methods are of approaching the text right if you come, which is to, why we did biblical, you know, interpretation. Right, yeah, and, right, yeah, interpretation. Um, if you come to a text, and you have to go to a million other texts in order to explain that one text, 
um, maybe something is off. You need to stop and and rethink what you're doing. You should be able to go to a text mm-hmm. and be able to understand the text just in its just in its context. If you if someone just handed you one page of the Bible and it was Romans nine, you should be able to understand what Romans nine is saying without having to have all these other passages to explain it. Now, other passages will help strengthen what he's saying in Romans 9, but Romans 9 by itself is pretty simple. You can, anyone can understand what it says. Yeah. Anyone can. Right. The the issue is people don't want to believe what it says at face value, because it is very irritating to the the natural man. Mm -hmm. Very, very much so. Right. Because it goes against the way you think that the world works and your notion of fairness and what's unfair and fair and... Mm -hmm. Like how much authority you have as a person, like it, it'll totally disintegrate your right. your worldview in one chapter, right. right? And it's clear. Yeah. So the big work has to be done to kind of get away from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in English, it's clear. You don't need to know Greek. Um, debating Calvinism: Five points, two views. It was James White and Dave Hunt. Okay. That's okay. the book. That's the, I, I don't even know anything about watching him on YouTube. This is way back. Yeah. Uh, way back in the day. Yeah. Dave Hunt has his own own book against Calvinism, mm-hmm. and I, I've never read it, but apparently it's just filled with the same <clears throat> same kind of right. misconceptions. Right. So anyway, the, the Calvinist movie, um, if you are a member of Christ Fellowship Church, I believe we have a copy of it, maybe several copies in the library. Um, I would definitely recommend mm-hmm. checking that out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You ready? Yeah. Let's see it. Here it is. Of course. Mm-hmm. It just was working, was it not? <laughs> All right, pause it, Larry. <laughs> or switch back to George. Let's look at George while I fix this. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate you. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that dead air time. Well, not good. Uh, not good. <laughs> I'm trying to think of my own struggles and the things that people would probably struggle with. Um if you're not if you're not fully convinced of um, reformed theology and just election in general, I would encourage you to go to Romans nine and and just read through Romans nine and try to understand what he's saying, mm-hmm. um, especially as it's connected to Romans eight. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think Romans nine through eleven is often considered like um, a parenthesis, like this doesn't fit with what Paul's been saying. But I, I think it was um I think it was Piper and I think I have this quote written in my Bible at Romans eight. Um let's see if total I can, depravity oh, unconditioned there it, is. there it is. I do not. Um he says something like the the depths of Romans nine support the mountaintops of Romans eight mm. or something like that. Yeah. Like, why can we say at the end of Romans 8, nothing can separate us from the love of God? Mm-hmm. Well, the Arminian, I don't know what the Arminian says. Like, well, suckers can lose their salvation, right? Right. <laughs> um, but for the, 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 the Calvinist, whatever you want to call yourself, um, the reason why nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus is because of Romans 9. Is right. God has chosen us to inherit salvation, and and that's one reason why I really don't love to use the term Calvinist because it's clearly not Calvin's doctrine, yeah, and it's it's actually not even Paul's doctrine. 
it's explicitly taught by Jesus, which we're going to get to when we get into these verses. I think it's explicitly taught by Moses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, he learned it from Jesus. Well, that's true. <laughs> so, so there's that one. You know what I mean? Touche. Yeah. Yes. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> All right. We ready to show this? Yeah. Total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, perseverance of the saints. The tulip. These five heads of doctrine emphasize God's sovereignty over our salvation and our absolute dependence upon Him to save us. And so we call them the doctrines of grace. These are the five points of Calvinism. From the time a child in the United States enters kindergarten, he begins to be taught and to learn, if only through osmosis, a particular anthropology, a particular understanding of the nature of man. So they develop this concept of free will, which is a pagan concept. This general... Hey, come on now. Come on now. Things are going so good. Oh, man. What is happening I think here? I just unplugged this. Did you unplug it? Yeah. Is it back? You're having some difficulties here, Jay. It's not. I'm going to have to reconnect the uh, Bluetooth. But that right there was the voice of uh, R.C. Sproul. You, you know what's interesting is R.C. didn't seem too obsessed with putting doctor in front of his name. <laughs> yeah. All the more reason to like him. Mm -hmm. He's just RC. Yeah, isn't that funny? Like most people, are like, hey, do you know you know RC? I'm like, yeah, I know. It's like everybody's his best friend. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. We go way back, <laughs> way back in the day. Well, I think so. it's because he he's the he's the theologian that so many people were introduced to reform theology through. Yeah, so it, <laughs> I mean, he's a, he he's the it's one. Hi, it's him, MacArthur, and Piper. Those, he, those are really are the the big three. He can he convinced my wife, you know, Angie. She grew up traditional Southern Baptist, and yeah. like I had, I'm uh, already had been there like several years. Mm -hmm. She's proofreading my papers in seminary, which yeah. are arguing for these type of things. And then and then I'm like, you know what? Somebody told me, give her the book by Sproul. Uh, chosen by God. It's just a really good book, Chosen by God. He just has a good way of explaining things. Yeah. I'm like, all right, whatever. So give it to her. Mm. That, that's all it took. I'm like, oh, so. Yeah. It was, it's, uh, uh, just it just was... that, huh? Just just Sproul's little book? <laughs> that's all it takes? That was, the, that was the same with Julia. She she read Chosen by God after I finished with it, and she was convinced by it also. Okay. Yeah. I mean, he is, in my opinion, the greatest theologian of the past hundred years for that reason. Yeah. Because he yeah. can explain things. You know. Oh yeah, yeah. So you don't really know something and until you can explain it to a child, mm -hmm. really. Yeah. Here we go. Which is a pagan concept. He said free will is this a pagan concept. I'll back it up. Understanding of. There we go. Pagan concept. This general understanding of free will is is that man is free to choose the good or evil on either side. That's a blasphemous doctrine. 
because that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible tells us that something happened radically to the constituent nature of humanity in the fall. Adam, as the first federal head of all humanity, acted as our representative. So what he did implicated all of us. We were born dead in sins and trespasses. The mind that's set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. We are slaves to sin. We are slaves to our own corruptions. The way that Jesus expressed it is, no man is able to come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So sometimes that verse is read, no one may come to me. That's not what Jesus says, very clear. No one can, right? We learned this in third grade. May I go to the restroom? Yes, can I go to the restroom? Well, you can, but you may not. So Jesus is saying, no one can come to me. The ability's not there. The problem is they won't because they hate God. It's like Joseph's brothers. They could not speak a kind word to him. Well, they all spoke ancient Semitic. Why couldn't they speak a kind word? Because they hated him. Their inability was from their hatred. Our inability is moral. It comes from our hatred of God. The picture of total depravity is the picture of Lazarus in the tomb. He's not sick. He's not ailing. He doesn't need medicine. Total depravity means that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We still have freedom insofar as we still have the ability to choose what we want to choose. But the want to has become enslaved by sin. That we are not just corrupted by sin, but we're dead in sin. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. There you go. So very good. I mean, uh, this is a wonderful, I forgot how good it was and how yeah. professional it was. Do we even need to continue? Can we <clears throat> no. Be done? No, I, I mean, think we, we can. can. I mean, so we, we got at least throw, another hour. We could just throw. Let's <laughs> get started. So at, at, the, at the root of this, the doctrine of total depravity is, which by the way, George, the, the Arminians, they, the original Arminians believed this doctrine of yeah, total depravity. Yeah, tr a, a true Arminian holds to total depravity. Yeah, they differ when we get to irresistible grace, we're going to, they'll differ there. But the mm -hmm. first one they agree, it's kind of what makes you a Protestant or, you know, a product of the Reformation. Yeah. Or, or what we'll argue is a rediscovery of what the church believed. Yeah. Before it got uh, you into know, when, all the sacramentalism. When Luther, when Luther was um, writing and arguing for, for you know, what became the Reformation, um, he was in a debate with Erasmus, uh -huh. um, who was Roman Catholic. And he wrote a book, Erasmus and, had written a book called The Freedom of the Will. Yeah, and, and, and Luther said, I, I mean, I'm paraphrasing, that he appreciated Erasmus because of, out, of all these, out of all the opponents, mm -hmm. Erasmus got it. Uh, yeah. Erasmus nailed it. It uh -huh. was, and you know, um, Luther wrote his, his book, Bondage of the Will, mm -hmm. on, on, um, it, in a response to Erasmus. Right. Because Luther said, this is the heart of the debate. Uh -huh. What is the natural state of a man? Mm -hmm. 
and that's uh, everything flows out of this. If if you deny total depravity, then you can deny all the others. Uh huh. Um, but um, as you said, even the 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 real Arminians, uh -huh. um, they hold to total depravity, right? Because they they if, see that it's clearly taught in the scriptures. Yeah. If you don't, you're holding to uh, what we would call Pelagianism. So Pelagius, it was the uh, the sparring partner of Augustine, and they were arguing over the same thing. So like, yeah. what what the the heart of the argument is this: to what degree did the fall in Genesis three affect human nature? Mm -hmm. So when and there, I think there are two verses that are important, as we'll see. Mm -hmm. But what what God tells them is that they that they eat of this, they're going to die, mm -hmm. right? And Satan, of course, is like, you won't die, you know? And and they don't physically die immediately. God covers their nakedness. He's full of grace and mercy. But spiritually, they died. And Ephesians 2 picks up on that language, that you are dead in your trespasses and sins. And we got to get into some other key verses in Romans as well. But the heart of the matter is, if you're wondering, okay, what is this all about? It's all about how much or what happened to mankind at the fall in Genesis 3. Did something happen, and if so, what? And that's really what it's all about. The Arminians say we are, because uh, they're not full-blown Pelagians, mm -hmm. they'll say, yes, we are We are to a degree uh, marred by the fall, where we cannot accept God without uh, a type of prevenient grace right. or grace that goes before. Right. And the Calvinists will say, as we'll see, um, that you cannot be saved apart from a radical monergistic work of God. So Pelagius, he argued that Adam was really just an example. Mm -hmm. So when he fell, um, we we all fall not because of something that Adam did, but because now we live in a world where we, we have bad examples, mm -hmm. um, and so we, we just follow Adam's pattern. Right? Um, that was condemned as a heresy. So if you hold to that, I would <laughs> urge you to repent because yeah. that that's um, that is not what the Bible teaches, and that has some pretty big repercussions, mm -hmm. um, as I think we'll see when we look at Romans five. Mm -hmm. um, so there were uh, some modifications made, and the, these modifications came to be known as semi-Pelagian, mm -hmm. and I think that a lot of people hold to semi-Pelagianism yeah, nowadays. Yeah. It's that. Yes, mankind is affected by Adam's sin. Yes, we we sin because of Adam, but um, it's it's that illustration of you know we're we're sick, yeah, or or we're we're dr we're we're drowning in the ocean, but God throws a you know a life preserver and we we have to reach up and take it. Right? Yeah, they would say something like it has it has kind of. Given you a preference, yes. So yeah, you're going. We have to, a propensity going, for yeah. sin. Right. It, that's the way the human will is now bent. It's mm -hmm. bent toward evil. It's bent toward rejecting God. It's marred by sin. Whereas the Calvinist doctrine would be that no, your your will is totally dead in sin, yeah. or it's in, a prisoner. In, yeah, it's captive. It's held captive, which is language that Jesus will use. Now the question is. Can we justify our belief in saying that the will is 
as Luther said, in bondage, mm-hmm. or it's held captive. That's mm-hmm. what Jesus, how Jesus describes it in John, and that the will is dead in sin, so that there is nothing in the person that will ever seek for God. Um, at this point, it might be helpful to say the doctrine of total depravity doesn't say that men are going to do evil all the time, continually. Like, we're not people aren't running around. It's not anarchy in the world, right? A non-believer is going to love their children, right? That, I mean, I before you're a Christian, you are doing things that are not evil, totally yeah, pe- evil. people aren't as bad as they could be. Right, so and, we and that's by God's grace. Right, um, so total depravity does not mean that that everyone is as bad as they could be. Yeah, right. it, me- it means really that a person is not of their own will going to choose to repent of their sins and run to Christ in faith and receive salvation. The total means that every every aspect of us is uh-huh. is marred by sin. Yeah. So our bodies, our minds and our wills, our emotions there it's all affected. Mm-hmm. Um uh Isaiah describes Israel as as being sick from um the crown of their head to the to their feet, mm-hmm. um, and that's that's kind of the picture of of total depravity. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. The whole head is sick, and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but bruises and sores and raw wounds. They are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. Some, yeah, and some people prefer because uh, total depravity. People hear that if they don't, you don't have time to sit down and explain all to them. They hear that. You mm-hmm. think people are just totally evil all the time. Uh, so Sproul likes the term total inability. He'll often use that term. Total inability kind of communicates the inability of the human will. Or uh, radical corruption. Or, or radical corruption, yeah. yeah. The inability of you to come on your own will mm-hmm. uh, to God. And that's very different from what we think. Even John Piper, when he describes it, he says that he went outside of his seminary class. He was so upset by this, and he held up. You know how passionate he is, and he held a pencil out. He holds a pencil out, and he dropped the pencil. He released it, and he said, "I did that." Yeah, that's how that was his theological argument, uh, saying that you know my will did that, and so it's he's arguing for the non-Calvinist position. So now, let's jump in. Let's get into some some text, though, because that's really the important thing. The important thing is is uh, not what Sproul believes, or Piper, or Calvin, or Augustine, or George or Jay. What does the Bible teach about human nature and what has happened in the fall? Um, I know my go-to verses are, my big ones are in John, yeah. and I was surprised to discover so many in that book after, <laughs> when I was preaching through it, because right. I always thought Romans is the go-to book if you were going to try to convince someone of this and just argue exegetically, yeah. but then I discovered maybe John's even better. Mm. So uh, what would you think if you're going to say, all right, here's a verse that kind of summarizes the will, and we'll get to some other verses that explain how you know this is overcome, but... Is there evidence that from Adam to me, sin passed from him to me? Mm-hmm. That's the question. Yeah. Is his guilt, is the guilt of Adam passed from him to me? Mm-hmm. Is there any Bible verses that would support that? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I knew that, George. I just wanted to <laughs> throw, just, I just want to just throw, test, you just throw test, it your way. You just testing me? Yeah. Yeah, Romans chapter 5, which has 
major theological repercussions. Mm-hmm. So what we're talking about is, um, the theological term is federal headship. Mm-hmm. Um, Adam is representing humanity. Right. Um, and this, we could, I mean, we could spend the rest of the time talking about this. Um, right. But Romans chapter five is, I mean, it's the go-to it's place where, yeah. where Paul talks about it. He's already established by Romans 5 that all are, are sinners. Uh-huh. So he's yeah. gone directly after the Gentiles, and mm-hmm. the Jews are like, yeah, that's that's correct, totally correct. And he's like, hold up, uh, Jews. Mm-hmm. And then he blasts them. And he's like, all right, now that I've established that all Jew and Gentile are sinners, yeah, let me explain to you more elaborately the doctrine of sin mm-hmm. and justification by faith. And then he hits Romans 5. Yeah. Um, 12 through 21 is, um, uh, this is the place where you, you run into a problem if you reject the federal headship of Adam. Mm-hmm. It, you can, the, the common counter argument to this is, well, that, that would be unfair or unjust for God to um, punish us because of something that we didn't do. Uh, but we have to understand the idea of representation. And as Americans, you would think that we would get it, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we are a nation that's represented, at least we're supposed to be, right? Um, we've got representatives that are supposed to be making decisions for all of us. Right. Um, what they do in Washington affects us. Mm-hmm. Right? It, it may not be what we do, but we're still we're, we're around, still we're anyone still anyone here should know that that's yeah. in the military yeah the right. decisions they make yeah you will pay for in your body right so god established adam as a covenant representative you you look at the way that that genesis 2 and 3 are are framed and adam is this king priest in this garden temple um, and he's supposed to work it and keep it, which is language of the Levites later on in, in Exodus and Numbers. Um, and he is the he's the representative who's supposed to um, expand the garden until it fills the whole earth. So what he does has repercussions for his offspring. Mm-hmm. He sends, he breaks the covenant. He's he's in a covenant relationship with God, and when he breaks the covenant, we all are are considered covenant breakers. Mm. And if you think, well, that's not fair. Well, if, if you had been put in the garden, the same thing would have happened. And we prove every day that we're sons and daughters of, of Adam. Right. right. Yeah. Um, so let's, let me read Romans five, um, 12 through 21. And then we will see what the, what it teaches. And also the repercussions. If you reject the federal headship of Adam, mm-hmm. right? Um, because that that really is there's there's a, a comparison going on here, um, and he'll he'll jump back and forth. You can't miss it. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. All right, so sin came into the world through one man, death came through sin, death spread to all men because all sinned. Now you could easily read that as well. We all die because we all individually sin, but I don't think that's what he's saying. I, th- I think he's saying we all sinned in Adam. When when Adam sinned against God and broke the covenant, we were in Adam, and we all sinned in him. So we all die, right? That's why. Yeah. That's why, um, you know, women have miscarriages. Mm. It's not because the child has done something evil. 
in the womb and therefore has died. It's because he's a child of Adam. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's, uh, he experiences the same, the same consequences. Everyone dies. Yeah. Everyone e- dies. E- everyone dies, whether early mm-hmm. or late. Yeah. Everyone dies. Yeah. Uh, for sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So, um, Sin was in the world before the law was given, but without the law, what's what are the consequences? Mm-hmm. And yet, people are still dying from Adam to Moses. Why are they dying? They're dying when there hasn't been a law given. They're dying because Adam broke the law, right? And, um, and that's important. Um, that last that last phrase of verse fourteen, he is a type of the one who was to come. Mm-hmm. That's that's here's the comparison. Uh, but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, there, there. I mean, you can't, you can't deny it, right? Like it didn't just, it didn't just make us um, have a propensity to sin. It actually condemned us. Yeah, we're we're actually condemned by that one sin of Adam. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners. So there. I mean, why are we? Why do we sin? We don't. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners and we're made sinners by one man's disobedience. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Um, So you've got two federal heads being set up by Paul. Mm -hmm. Adam, Christ. And you belong to one of the two. Mm Mm-hmm. You're represented by one of two people. Mm-hmm. Everybody in the world, everyone who's ever lived, is either in Adam, and Adam represents them, and you're condemned as a lawbreaker in him, or you're represented by Christ, and you experience grace and life through Jesus's federal headship. So, um, I've I've never met someone who denies the federal headship of Adam that denies the federal headship of Christ. Right. <laughs> they all they all know we're rep- we're represented by Christ and his obedience becomes our our obedience. It's our it's our basis for justification. Mm-hmm. And his death is as our representative so that he experiences the covenant curses for us. And the whole um, so they, point. So they want the blessing. They want the blessings of of Jesus as a representative, but they don't want the right. the consequences of Adam being represented. Uh-huh. But you can't you, you can't, can't say I, you can't have one without the other. That, and that's the, Paul's whole argument for Jesus's representation is based upon Adam's Adam, representation. And there's and there's one way alone to be in Christ to have a new federal head. It's the whole point of the first part of the book, mm-hmm. simply to believe, mm-hmm. to have faith in Jesus Christ. Yeah. 
It's the whole point he's driving at. Right. You can switch federal heads and have a different representative mm-hmm. and be counted as righteous in him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so very clear. So they they might would say, well, okay, I, I can grant in some things to you. Some people would say, I can see that. But does that really mean that I can't of my own nature now, if you tell me I have to believe in Jesus Christ mm-hmm. to uh, to change federal heads to be forgiven of my sins, we, why we, can't I not of my own will do it? And we, we experience the tension because at that moment we do know I'm believing in Jesus. Mm-hmm. So we, we experience that tension of, well, I am believing. I, I, I know that. I'm I'm I am choosing to believe in Jesus. And that I think is where the yeah, the, that's mis- where the, the misconception of what total depravity is and what irresistible grace is. Right. And yeah, um, where where those those yeah. come into play. Yep. So uh, there are many verses that speak about the condition of, of the human heart though. We have uh can the can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots, then you you can do then also you can do good who are accustomed to do evil. So, can a leopard change his spots? No. Okay. So then, you who are fallen in sin, custom of doing evil, now you become good. That's the point, right? You can't do it. It's impossibility. Uh, it's absolutely impossible. Yeah, uh, Jeremiah. He says in Jeremiah chapter seventeen that um, the heart is deceitfully wicked. Yeah, it's it's desperately. It's deceitful de- it's, above it's, all things. Yeah, desperately sick. Who can understand it? Yeah. Um, he says somewhere, I can't remember where it is, that um, uh, Israel has, has. Um, um, I'm going to completely butcher it. <laughs> I better not try. Yeah. <laughs> I'll completely mess it up. I'm not sure exactly where it is. Yeah. Um, of course, Paul had already said in Romans three ten through twelve that uh, no one is righteous, no not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. They have all become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Mm. And so, obviously, then that means you're not the exception. If no one does good, if I can't do good, if I can't change my spots, that seems to mean I need something more. I need something more like a rescue. Well, than... it, it's I don't know what it is that that causes people to pull back from the full weight of Romans chapter 3. Mm-hmm. And um, none is righteous, no, not one. And I think people would agree with that because they they go down to verse 23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. They they would agree with that. Mm-hmm. But then they, they, I don't know, they they kind of pull back on on what what the rest of it says. No one understands no one seeks god right that's um i mean that's uh so just couple this with hebrews eleven six. if you think you're the exception yeah. without faith it is impossible to please to please god uh-huh. to please him for whoever would draw near to god must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him so if that my nature is inclined all the way toward uh depravity mm-hmm. Which and if if it, the wicked can't change as a leopard leopard can't change the spots, I can't then do good. How can I that am not good by nature manifest something as good as faith? Mm-hmm. Right? You can you can though manifest a type of faith. So that's where it needs to become clear because people do believe in all types of gods. 
all over the world, and they're really people of faith. Let's call it. Let's call it faith. Yeah. So they're trusting in these other methods of salvation or of uh, becoming one with the world or the universe or yourself. And these things can actually, for a time, provide people a measure of uh, spiritual. We could call it uh, being at ease or you know, living in this world in a way that, and that's all part of the problem problem of fallenness, is that we will seek after and have faith in all of these lesser things. But faith in the one true and living God, you cannot please Him apart from faith in Him. And that's the one thing that we can't generate on our own, on our nature. Um, It's an impossibility for us. And Paul says this. Mm -hmm. He says it in Romans chapter 8. Yeah, Romans 8, 7. Um, the mind that is set on the flesh, the flesh is just a, a catch-all word for an unbeliever. The the mind that's set on the flesh is hostile to God. We often think that we're just kind of passive right. uh, or indifferent, but no, we're, we're hostile to God. Mm-hmm. Um, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. It's a statement of ability. Yeah, and yeah. that's that's the word. Um, it's it's the word uh, dunamis. Mm-hmm. It, it cannot. It cannot. Uh, those who are in the flesh, again, unbelievers, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Mm-hmm. Very clear. Yeah. It's, 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 uh, it's not as... I mean, it's controversial because of how the things we learn, as Sproul said, from the time we were little kids. But if you're just going to say, all right, what does the Bible say? I'm going to believe what it says. It says those who are in the flesh. What does that mean? Those that everyone in the world that's not a Christian, okay. right? Mm-hmm. You can't please God. It's pretty frightening, actually. Um, and if God were just to leave us there, it would be the most. It would be the worst news in the world. It'd be the worst news in the world. Mm-hmm. But there's good news that God He does rescue us out of this. But let's continue on with these statements of ability and inability. Because there are some really, really good ones, and one way I think we should think about this, see, we think, I can I can try to foresee a pushback. We'd say, okay, but if God would reveal himself to us in some way, people would believe it'd be, it'd be convincing. <laughs> it'd be convincing. Like, yeah. maybe, maybe God personally can, would come, <laughs> yeah. and he could talk to us in a way we could understand— he could show us signs and do miracles. That that would overcome unbelief. You know what I mean? Do things that people can't do. Um, that'd be a sure sign, and people would de- definitely believe. And we have we have not just the history of the people of Israel that show us that this isn't true, but we have Jesus Himself, the incarnation. The incarnation of Jesus is the biggest proof text of all time for the doctrine of total depravity. Mm. And it starts in John one, the beginning, John one. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own people, and his own people didn't receive him. So just think about this. God came into the world, the one who made the world, the one who you have your consciousness because he wills it. He made everything. He comes into the world as a person to talk to you, to talk to people, even more specific than that, he comes to a specific tribe of people that were waiting for a chosen one. He comes to his own people, shows them signs, wonders, things no one's ever done in the history of mankind. 
raises a dead man back to life, all kinds of things. He preaches in the most convict, convicting and convincing and clear manner possible, and everybody goes, no. <laughs> yeah. It's, they it, reject him. It is, it is absolutely astonishing, and we have to be really careful lest we, we build up ourselves in pride and say, well, they're just stupid. I would have believed. Right. He raises Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus has been dead for four days in the tomb. He raises him from the dead. Many believe. Others go to the religious leaders, and the religious leaders say, this guy's got to go. Yeah. <laughs> we got to get rid of this he guy. Raised, he raised the dead. We've got to kill him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, absolutely astonishing. Mm-hmm. That's the response to... And it's not them. If you were born them, if you were born and you were a Sanhedrin member, you would have done the same oh, thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's only God's grace that you weren't born a Sanhedrin member because yeah, you have convicted yeah. him to die. Yeah, y- yeah. You would have said, we have no king. Yeah. But Caesar, away with this man. Uh, yeah, anybody, anybody that says, well, if, if only God would reveal himself, he'd, if he'd actually you know, show himself, we'd believe on him. The, the incarnation is the, the proof that if God appears, you man won't. tries to kill him. Yeah. Right? <laughs> uh, it, it's amazing. It, uh, it, and, it is. And we have this summary statement at the end of John chapter 12 of why. Mm-hmm. Right. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. Mm-hmm. For again, Isaiah said, he has, he has blinded their eyes. Who's the he? Mm-hmm. It's it's God. It's God. He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Uh, and this is the summary. Now the now the the counter argument would be, well, he's just talking about the Jews at that time, right? Right. Well, so what's interesting about this is like how how would God do that? How would God blind their eyes? Well, He reveals to them that which they hate the most, right? And so you can't love that which you hate. See, they thought they were religious and pious and good, and they thought they loved God, right? But they didn't because mm. when He appeared, because when He appeared, mm. um, they wouldn't believe on Him. They, they didn't wa- love Him. They wanted Him to come and fulfill their every wish. Mm-hmm. Right? If, if, kill the Romans, set up a king, make us the most powerful people in the whole world. That, mm-hmm. That's what they wanted, right? And Jesus came saying, if you don't deny die, yourself, die pick up yourself, yourself and pick up your cross and follow me, you can't be my disciple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you can't love yourself like that right. and simultaneously seek to love God and try to love God. You can't do it. You know, your will will only do what your will wants, and that's the problem. That's why we come down to these, these statements of these cannot abilities. Mm-hmm. Well, I cannot simultaneously love steak and hate steak at the same time. It's impossible to do so. So when the human will is bent towards self-love and away from God, it cannot flip a switch and say, I love God and I love Christ. Right. And he, this is what's revealed by his ministry. And this is a huge thing for preachers to get. Like if you're a preacher and you're listening, you're not a better preacher than Jesus. People in your congregation are not going to be saved. Their will is not going to be overcome by... Um, 
you're you crafting these eloquent turns of phrases that are creative or an elaborate argumentation or force of your preaching. You're not a better preacher than he was. You have no hope. Your ministry is absolutely hopeless unless God acts. It's got to be an act of God uh, and grace. So it's a huge thing for me. It's a big, it's a big, um, it's a massive part of everything that I think as I come to a text that I'm going to preach and I'm going to try to call people, and I'm going to do it the best I can, try to plea with people to believe even today, but I know that that I can't overcome them. Um, I think I used to think that I could write good enough sermons that would convince people <laughs> to be Christians. Right. Um, it just can't be done. Yeah, uh, unless we uh, we we think that John's statement was just about you know the Jews of of Jesus's time. We have Paul writing to the Corinthians in Corinthians First Corinthians chapter two. He says, "Among the mature, we impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory." So. So there's something there's something right held yeah. back from them um but as it is written what no eye has seen nor ear heard nor the heart of man imagined what god has prepared for those who love him these things god has revealed to us through the spirit for the spirit searches everything even the depths of god for who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him so also no one comprehends the thoughts of god except the spirit of god mm. now we have received not the spirit of the world but the spirit who is from god that we might understand the things freely given us by god and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom but taught by the spirit interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual the natural person this is a person without the spirit, right? Unbelievers. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able. There's not that, able. There's that statement of the phrase ability. again. He is not able to understand yeah. them because they are spiritually discerned. Mm-hmm. So we all have the same book, but unless the spirit imparts to you wisdom from God, you're not going to believe right. what's written. Yeah, right. that's right. Yeah, John John three sixteen maybe the most famous verse in the Bible probably. Um, that well, or, it used that to be. Do not judge. Do not judge. Yeah. <laughs> Philippians four thirteen getting pretty popular. Yeah, uh, I forgot to bring something in for next next free for all Friday. I'll bring something. And it'll be a surprise that reminded me. But John three sixteen. I mean, if we we read that and we read just a little bit further, we're going to get kind of an answer as to why. Mm. Like, what's behind the inability? Yeah. And what's behind the inability is really love. So, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I mean, incredible. So we're talking we're talking about love here in these, even past John 3.16, we'll get into what man loves. But God's love demonstrated that he would send his only son whom he loves, and anyone who would believe will be saved. Mm. Right? It's open. It, it is an open general invitation. Right. Here's my son. Anyone who comes to him, I will save them. Mm. But the problem is, is that people, they won't come. Um, for God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. So there it is. Uh, people love they love darkness rather than light. Here's Christ. Here's here's light. Uh, here's the love of God in the flesh. Open invitation. I'll I will 
unites you to, with God? Are you are you burdened? Are you heavy laden? I will I will relieve that. My yoke is light. Come to me. Um, whoever eats the bread that I give him will live forever. He's making all of these invitations, and people they they say, oh, "Well, I can't come because I love darkness. Mm. I love darkness rather than light." Um, we could spend a long time in John. We could go to the um, Jesus's. Uh, sermon by the sea, and we could see the things that the disciples say to him after after everybody leaves. That gives a great explanation. Maybe we will. Who knows? We'll stay in here all day. Um, <laughs> yeah, he does this miracle. He feeds all of them, and the next the next day they're looking for him because it's breakfast time. They want they want some more to eat, and he he tells them he he gives them this really. Um, Let's do it. I mean, it, John it's, six. It's outrageous. Get your Bible right? and go to John six. I mean, the, th- the things that he says are outrageous to yeah. these Jews. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you yeah. have no life, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> And they, they're like, we're out of here. Yeah, we're we're gone. The whole thing starts though with uh, what 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 must we do to do the works of God? Mm. That's their big question. They they want to see more miracles so they know they can believe Him. Yeah. Um, and j- he said, "Here's the works of God to believe in Him who He has sent." That's it. Yeah. Which is surprisingly the works that Abraham did, and it was accredited to him as righteousness. Um, and they want more signs, and, and he had he has just done. He's just fed 5,000 people. Yeah. Like he's generating bread and fish. Mm. It's like ex nihilo, right? Except for he's got like a starting sample of things, yeah. <laughs> but he's just multiplying them. And of course, people are like, there's never been a miracle done like this. And then he walks on water. <laughs> then they follow him across the sea and they're like, hey, feed us again. The Messiah is super dope because he's not only going to overthrow Rome, we get food forever. We just get to get, and so that's what they're they're seeking after him for. Starts this entire this dialogue where Jesus gives this great illustration that as you as the uh, Israelites ate manna in the wilderness and it gave them life. Well, he is the bread from heaven. He's the greater manna sent by God, and if you would have him, you'll live forever. And so he says he says to them, "I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst." But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. That is a powerful statement of total depravity. Mm. I've shown you miracles. I've preached to you. I now am offering you eternal life. But you've seen me, and yet you still will not believe. Mm -hmm. Now, is he stressed out about it? He's not, because the Mm. next thing he says is an explanation. Why isn't he stressed? Why isn't he worried? Because he knows people will come to him. People are going to respond. And this is his explanation as to why people come to him. He says in John John six thirty seven, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And there is an explanation, and you cannot wiggle out of what it clearly says. Well, obviously you can. <laughs> oh no, you can't. You can't. You can't do it without yeah. becoming without, oh, without majorly with the, violating. Oh yeah. oh yeah. About major majorly violating what is said there. Yeah. So if you if you're a preacher and you ever wonder, and is the way that I'm explaining this 
going to make it to what to, to such that a person who has the reading level of a sixth grader, mm. if they read it and they say, okay, I got it, and then you preach for 30 minutes telling them that's not what it says, right? you've got a problem. Because mm-hmm. God means to... Cl- to communicate these things to us in a way that can just be read and understood, that doesn't take right. a priestly class, yeah, like a and, P, someone with a PhD to explain. And that goes back to last week when we were talking about biblical interpretation. How do we interpret the Bible? Right? Are we are we trying to put our own preconceptions and our own ideas into the text? Are we doing eisegesis, or are we trying to bring out of the text what it, what it actually says? Yes, yes, right? yeah. Um, and if you if you just take out of it what it says. You, you can't miss it. Just I mean, break he, it down. Break it got, down. Thirty-seven. He goes. He goes on in verse forty-four to mm-hmm. tell them even more. And you, he does. You, you can't escape it. He says it twice. Mm-hmm. He says it twice in in verse forty-four, and then over in um, what is it sixty-five um, that that no one can come to me unless unless the Father who sent me draws him. Right, and we can say well. He draws everybody, but you have to keep going, right? There's right. another statement, and I will raise him up on the last day. Well, he's talking. Well, he's talking about believers. Right, right? He's talking about believers, eternal life. Yeah. Uh, so, so those who are given to him, who come to him, are raised. Are up. raised up. Um, so he he doesn't draw everyone because he doesn't raise up everyone in right. in the sense that that he's talking about here, salvation. Yeah. Um, and, unless you're a universalist, <clears throat> right? Which we're not. <laughs> right. Right. And he, yeah. he says it again over on the other side. After he, he says that unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you, and they all leave, right? Um, he they say this is a hard statement. Mm-hmm. Right? Who who can you know who can hold you know who can listen to this stuff? Um and he says again, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless mm-hmm. it is granted him by the Father. Yeah. Do not grumble among yourselves. Yeah. That's why I told you. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry about it. <laughs> No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. And then, you know, this gets into effectual call, verse 45. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught of God. So we'll hold off on that one for that time. Right. But that's clear uh, there. And so people are, do they just leave? And they're like, we're we're out of here. Um, And so the disciples are looking around like, man, like, we thought this was the beginning or something. Mm -hmm. And when when the disciples heard, this is verse 60, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. That should be the end of the discussion on the doctrine of total depravity. Jesus says the flesh or the flesh is no help at all. It is the Spirit who gives life. There is nothing in your human nature that can give you life. Okay. And that's the doctrine of total depravity. That should be open and shut. That should be it. That should be the end of it. Now, people could debate election. They could debate uh, definite atonement. But that one, hmm. it should be. Un- it should not be even debatable, in my opinion. I think that's why the Arminians hold to it. Yeah, uh, I think that the original Arminians, the, right? Um, you know, what was it? been a little over a decade ago that the the traditional baptists put out their statement mm-hmm. and they're they're just denying all of the all the points of calvinism um but um 
Roger Olson, is that his name? Maybe, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's um, traditional he's, Armenian. He's a traditional Armenian. Yeah. Um, he, even cr- he even criticized it um, because he said they went too far. Yes, because I, I've they, read some of his stuff. Because yeah. they denied they denied total depravity mm-hmm. yep. completely. They, I mean, they were they were pushing not just semi-Pelagianism, but they were they were really inching towards full-blown Pelagianism. And um, I just remember thinking when I saw that if if an actual Arminian is saying critiquing, nah, you've probably gone too far. You've gone too you've Pelagian. Gone too, you've gone too far. You never go full Pelagian. Never go full. You Pelagian. never go full Pelagian. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can. I can at least. I can at least respect you know, traditional Arminians for actually holding to total depravity, to this this idea that the will is bound. Yeah. Well, now, now they have to sneak in yeah, something yeah. To, to get around. Um, it's, it's another, like yeah. they, they have another step, but at least they understand that the Bible uses the language of being dead in your sins, of being... Um, a slave to sin, being bound, uh, you know, at, at least they, at least they, they get the language and why this language is being used. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, we're going to, we're going to argue passionately and we're going to make our thing. That doesn't mean that we don't like the other side. Right. Yeah. I think we should clarify that. Mm. Like if you're, if you're a, a Christian holding to, um, you know, the uh, any of the streams that come out of the Reformation, I would say, or or even if you're one of those that would say, "Hey, I never, I never protested anything," but if you're if you're professing Christ and you believe um, in Him alone, like legitimately are born again Christian, and you're standing and you're saying, "I don't care what the culture does, they can light me on fire. I'm going to profess faith in Christ alone." Um, we can passionately disagree. That doesn't mean we don't like you. We consider you a brother or sister in Christ, right? You're if you are you're saved by salvation and faith by grace alone through faith alone is what we believe. So if your doctrine is totally right or not, um, if you are professing that truth, we're not going to like pretend we're high and mighty above you. So don't get that. But we are going to argue passionately because we think you're wrong, right? Right. I'm not going to condemn you to hell though. But I am gonna. I that am. was that was where Spurgeon found himself. Um, Spurgeon found himself right in the middle of a bunch of controversies. Yeah, uh, because on one side he had the Arminians, mm-hmm. on the other side he had the hyper Calvinists, and he was he was too he was too Arminian for the hyper Calvinists, mm-hmm. and he was too Calvinist for the Arminians, and and he's just arguing for what we're arguing for for. And he was nice. Yeah. Right. He seemed to be like an all around yeah. nice guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, but he uh he was very generous to um Arminians mm-hmm. um without compromising on the 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 doctrines of grace. Right. Um he said that there are there are people that will be saved irresistibly that didn't believe in irresistible grace. Uh-huh. Right, there are many who will persevere to the end who don't believe in perseverance of the saints. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are. I mean, we we don't want to be lazy in our doctrine. We want to argue for what the Bible actually teaches, but we also don't want to be jerks about it. Well, I just don't want people because because the way I get going on here, people are like, "Oh, dang, this guy is like intense." I don't want people to think like, "Oh, you well, th- you have been labeled by someone in this area as a militant Calvinist." <laughs> 
<laughs> right. I was like, what are you, what are you talking about? Yeah. Um, <laughs> is it, is it, uh, is it because I was in the military and I happened to be a Calvinist? Is that, cause I can get down with that. It might be, uh, you know, knowing, uh, knowing just kind of the, the sentiment of evangelicalism in general. I would say it's because you actually have a backbone and believe Maybe. and believe what you believe. <laughs> I'm a, I'm gonna go out on a limb here. I'm gonna I will make a well I don't want to because it'll I, let's I'll say this all right I've heard people critique Calvinism right yeah and I've heard them and your appeal to the non-believer pathetic all right so you do shame to all Arminians right if a Calvinist is pleading with a non-believer yeah harder than you. Maybe you need to fix your doctrine. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So don't label me a militant Calvinist when you come with that weak stuff. It, I, I think this is this, you bring that up. I think maybe this is a good time to maybe address one of those, those arguments against total depravity. Mm-hmm. Like if you hold to this, if you hold that man is dead in his sin, he is unable to respond. Why preach the gospel to them at all? Because uh, the preaching of the gospel is God's chosen method of bringing a sinner to salvation. It's as simple as that. God, there you go. All right. Good night, he, everybody. I mean, <laughs> I mean, he could have shot out a rainbow-colored message in the sky and right. said, "Hey, guys, I'm here. I'm God. Uh, repent and believe on Jesus." Or he could have sent out angels with trumpets. They could have like land on, you know, on top of K- KSWO and be like, "Jack me in. Take over the TV stations," <laughs> you know, and boom. But that's the still, gospel. But that still isn't going to. That still isn't going to change the hearts of people. Right. Right. I mean, we're, we're, all of these points hold together. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm going to argue when we get to it that limited atonement is, is vital for the others. Right. I mean, a four point Calvinist, you can call yourself that, but there's going to be some inconsistencies in your theology. I, I think they all hold together. So, so they're, they're going to, they're going to kind of bleed they together. Yeah. Um, so when we're talking about total depravity, we, we have to at least touch upon the effectual call or irresistible right, grace because right. you how how does how does someone who's dead in their sins and trespasses respond to the gospel why do we preach the gospel yeah. to people that we would say they're dead in their sins i mean it, it's it's like it's like god telling ezekiel to go out into this this valley of of dry bones speak to the valley and of bones, say yeah. live uh-huh like that's the that's the picture of of the gospel. I mean, Jesus picks and the up wind on, starts blowing. Yeah, G- Jesus. The wind. I mean, that's that's the picture that Jesus the spirit, is, the is giving in in John chapter three. That's that's the background to what Jesus uh-huh. is telling Nicodemus is Ezekiel thirty six and thirty seven, the the valley of dry bones, and the wind blows where it will. It, it blows where it will. Right. Yep. And and so yeah, at the beginning of John's gospel, we're told but what, how. But would the would the would the dry bones in Ezekiel thirty seven would they have stood no. up and lived if Ezekiel hadn't gone no. out and said live? Mm-mm. No, they wouldn't. This is got this is the mystery of it is that you, not just a preacher, like you as a Christian, someone will become a Christian in this world only when you share the gospel with them, mm. and not until then. Yeah, that should really motivate you. <laughs> Like God's chosen, like if I could tell you, someone's going to die today, and you're going to be the one who gives CPR, and like you'll be celebrated, right? We'll be like, oh, wow, you were there and you acted. You'd be like, oh, I got to be ready today. 
Someone's going to die around me, and I got to give CPR and save their life. Well, and God's means, you know, His providential plan includes other people sharing the gospel with other people. It doesn't make you the hero, right? But it makes you like a a conduit of of your message, like your sharing the gospel is the means by which the Holy Spirit convicts the person and brings them to to salvation. It is he could have done whatever he wanted, you know, and that's an that's a big uh, a big gift of grace, I think, to us. It's mm-hmm. a gift to be able to share the gospel with someone. And that I'm telling you right now, if, if you're a Christian and you've never shared the gospel with somebody, you'll never be closer to God than when you share the gospel with someone. You want to talk about experiential Christianity? You will experience the grace of God in your life in a way you never have when you share the gospel with someone. Because he's present, he's there. Like the power of the Spirit is at work, uh, and someone is converted. Um, it's amazing. And so, so we we hold to, um, not that God is just the, he's the author of salvation, mm-hmm. but that God has ordained means. Right. That he's ordained the end, but he's also ordained the means. So yes, we're we're gonna. We're going to teach total depravity and unconditional election and limited or definite atonement. But we also are going to say, unless they hear, unless they hear the gospel, they won't believe. Right. They won't. Yeah. And there's there. Here's a here's an example in in Acts chapter eighteen. Acts chapter eighteen. Paul's in Corinth, um, and. It says that um, the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you for I have many in this city who are my people. Yeah. Now, what does that mean? There's people there that the father has given to the son. Yeah. And whenever they hear, they'll repent and believe. Yeah. So... Paul has to. He's got to go preach to him. Go them. preach, right? Yeah. <laughs> go preach. I've got people here. What? What? Uh, what? Massive encouragement that would have been for, for Paul. Sure. It's like they're out here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like a theological Pokemon Go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you got to go catch them, right? <laughs> well, we got to. Maybe, end... maybe that wasn't the best illustration. Uh, Larry's over there. <laughs> uh, people can drop questions. Uh, you know, if you have questions, uh, you want to hear us explain something more. Maybe that part in John six, whatever. Drop a comments on this mm-hmm. uh, post. Be nice about it. I mean, we're not we're not jerks, so don't come at us. Don't come at me jerky. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Come, don't do it. Remember that one guy who believed that that weird stuff. I got in that Which crazy. One? <laughs> hey, Which one? if you catch me on a day, you come at me crazy, and you catch me on a day where I don't have to like. I'm oh not, yeah, if Jay, and if I got Jay, time. If Jay doesn't have anything going on, or if he's sitting in a waiting room, <laughs> it's gonna be game on. It's gonna be game on. Yeah, just for the sheer amusement of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think yes, we're we're open to uh, say, hey, I, I don't think you guys got this r- quite right. I disagree with you here. Could you explain that more? Go for it. We'll mm. we'll try our be- the best that we can. Mm-hmm. Um, we let's end though, kind of where we started: the incarnation of Christ. Mm-hmm. Right. This is huge evidence for, I think, this doctrine mm-hmm. that He came to His own people and they reject Him. So I want to read that again, but I want to read further because okay. as I read further, you're going to see that uh, how someone comes out of the state, but also it's going to hammer down the impossibility 
of coming apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, John uh, chapter 1, beginning in verse 9, The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. That's, I mean, as we said, amazing that that happened, but it did. But to all who did receive him, there were some that believed, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It can't get much more clear mm. than a threefold negation <laughs> right. of the human's ability mm-hmm. to rescue themselves from the state. That's why Jesus says later, if anyone sins, they are a slave of sin. But if, but if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Yeah. So if we are Christians, it's because of God's grace. We weren't we didn't become Christians by our own will. If you're not a Christian and you want to become a Christian right now, you just call call out to God. Mm-hmm. Ask God to save you. Yep. Say, I'm I believe I'm fallen in sin. I've I've not loved you. I've loved the things of this world. I want to repent of my sin and trust Christ. Save me, rescue me. Give me a new heart. And I believe that God will. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, all right. You got anything else? Just shut her down. I mean, we could talk about this for hours. I mean, there's there's i mean we're not we're not just trying to cherry pick we're trying to show big passages yeah, yeah. What's, and, and just kind of the flow of what's of, joe rogan's longest podcast i have no idea we can uh let's take let's take that title away maybe on one of these future episodes <laughs> oh man <laughs> we're gonna have to order lunch or something <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah well um I guess we can shut it down. All right. All right. There you go. Um, hopefully, this has been beneficial. We're, we're going to spend the next, um, well, four more Fridays um, going through the five points of Calvinism or the doctrines of grace. And we want this to be beneficial for you. This is, um, this is not just an exercise for us to um, just sit here and talk about things that we're already familiar with. We want this to be beneficial for you uh, because it's very practical. Doctrine, um, it is practical in your life. So um, we want to be um, very careful and accurate with what the scriptures teach. So if this has been helpful, please make sure to like, subscribe, share. If you have any questions or comments, be sure to uh, to put those um, on Facebook or YouTube or uh I don't know anywhere that you listen to the podcast, mm-hmm. right? And we'll get back to it, get back to you. So, until next time, thank you. <laughs>